And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab that Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 this morning is where we're going to be. And we've been in a series over the last several weeks that we've been calling First Things First. And we've been talking about the power of priority. And in the first week of this series, we talked about uh, starting with the foundation of God's word, that this is the starting point. And uh, we'll get the house lights up here in just a second. But this is the starting point. This is the foundation. And then last week, we talked about the importance of community, church life, that we are called to do life together and uh, uh, the priority of the corporate gathering of God's people. And today we're going to talk about the priority of the mission that God has given us, that God has given us a mission and he's given us an assignment. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. And if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? amen. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start reading in verse number 16. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. Matthew 28, verse number 16, the Bible says this. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This morning, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. It's time to go. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to go. We've got to go. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. God, thank you that next Sunday we get to celebrate six years of your faithfulness and your goodness to us here at Rock Hill. And Lord, I pray that we would pause to praise and to recognize your goodness in our lives. God, thank you for the first six years of salvations and baptisms and life transformation. But God, we believe that the best is yet to come in your name. And God, we are excited to see what you will do in our midst, in our future. And Lord, I pray that we would look to your word today and that we would understand this priority of mission that you've given us. God, I pray that we would not overlook this assignment, but that we would understand what you've called us and asked us to do. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a great way. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and give me the exact words that you would have for us today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning. Amen. In my household, the mornings are always very hectic. Uh, in the mornings, trying to get all the kids ready for school, trying to get everybody out the door is always a hectic, hectic morning. How many of you have ever had a hectic morning? You know what I'm talking about. And uh, my kids, it seems like it's always herding cats, trying to get everybody together, uh, trying to make sure that we're ready to go on time. And I find myself often saying a phrase repeatedly in the mornings, and that phrase is, it's time to go. Uh, it's time to go. Like, we need to stop eating breakfast. We need to stop doing this. We need to go. 
go, we need to get out the door. And it seems like every time I say that phrase, it's time to go, uh, it seems like there's always an excuse or a reason why my kids are not ready to go uh, on time. It seems like uh, there's always something, whether it's a shoe that's missing, we need to find the shoe, or uh, the homework needs to be signed, or I forgot to brush my teeth, or where's my backpack. It seems like there's always an excuse as to why we're not quite ready uh, to go. Uh, this morning, we come to Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus is about to ascend back up into heaven, and he has one powerful and primary message to his disciples, and by extension to us today, and that message is this. It's time to go. It's time to go in the calling uh, that God has for us. And just like uh, my household, often in the mornings, there are often excuses and reasons amongst followers of Jesus as to why we're not ready to go, as to why we're not ready to go and fulfill the mission that he has for us. Maybe it's because uh, someone might say, I don't have enough time. Someone might say, uh, I don't have uh, the right personality, and, and that's for someone else, or I don't have the right resources. And, and often there are reasons why we are not uh, ready to go. But here in this passage, we see uh, that Jesus is delivering uh, this powerful exhortation that we've got to go when baptized teach, to go and tell others about the good news of the gospel. Uh, one author, he says that the, this passage is the climax and major focal point, not only of this gospel, but also the entire New Testament. And so this is, a, this is a powerful and very familiar section of scripture. But even though this is a familiar section of scripture, often it's a forgotten section of scripture. Because we often don't carry out the mission that Jesus instructed us to do right here in Matthew chapter 28. And we have to recognize today that Jesus's last command must be our first priority. Is everybody with me this morning? Jesus's last command must be our first priority. See, as followers of Jesus, I enjoy good fellowship. I love and value fellowship with other believers. How many of you are thankful that we can be in a place where we can do life together and, and have that iron sharpening iron together and we can have a church community uh, that we can gather around? I love and value fellowship, but I want you to know fellowship is not our primary responsibility. I love coming together and singing and praising the Lord in corporate worship. I love doing that this morning, singing about the faithfulness of God. I'm standing on your faithfulness, declaring that, that God is good. But singing and praising God in corporate worship is not our primary responsibility. Because if our primary responsibility was fellowship with other people, then the moment that we got saved, God would have just taken us up into heaven where fellowship is perfect and complete. If our primary responsibility was singing songs together, then uh, God would have just taken us up into heaven when we got saved, uh, when praise and worship will be perfect. But I want you to know there is a reason that God left us here on earth. The reason that God left us here on earth the moment that we got saved is because there are still other people that need to know about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. The reason that we have this calling and this priority to go and tell people is because the world today is hurting and broken and lost and confused and angry and sad. And they are searching for some sort of meaning and searching for some sort of purpose. And today we know as followers of Jesus where that is found. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've got to go and tell other people about this message. We can't afford to sit back and just say, well, you know, someone else will do it. No, God has commissioned us. This is what is often called the great commission, the great commandment that we are to go and to tell. How many of you have ever received some bad news? All right. Only 35 of you. That's good. So sometimes in life when you receive bad news, I read a story 
uh, just recently at Christmas time, there was a doctor's office in England, and someone on the staff was supposed to s- send out a mass text message to a thousand patients. The text was supposed to say, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Instead, accidentally sent a text message saying you've been diagnosed with cancer. And that text was sent to a thousand people and they didn't catch it for over an hour. And so many people just got this bad news and they finally sent out an hour later a follow-up text that said this, please accept our sincere apologies for the previous text message. This has been sent in error. Our message to you should have read, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, That is quite a mistake to send, right? One was a message of, of life One was a message of death, and here's what we need to remember today, that we have the life-giving message of Jesus. We have the message of hope. We have the message of life. The only question is, are we sharing it? Are we going? Are we fulfilling the mission that God has given us? Romans chapter 10 puts it this way in verse number 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, it's time to go, that that God has called us to deliver this good news. Now, before we get into uh, the heartbeat of the commission that Jesus gave, starting in verse uh, 18 through 20, I want us to see the context starting in verse 16. Would that be all right with everyone today? Uh, Let's notice the context. If you have a Bible, notice what it says in verse number 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And so we see that the disciples go and they find themselves in Galilee and they're kind of waiting around in Galilee. Now, there was one primary reason they went to Galilee. The reason they went to Galilee is because back in verse number 10, Jesus told them to go to Galilee. He says, I want you to go to Galilee. And so that's what the disciples did. By the way, aren't you thankful that Jesus is always faithful to keep his appointments? He says, go to Galilee. And Jesus met them in Galilee. And I think that there is an important principle here about life and ministry. And that is that if you want to have an effective ministry, half the battle is just showing up. Half the battle is just going to Galilee. I'm just going to do what Jesus asked me to do. I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to do what Jesus called me to do. Can I remind you today that Jesus is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's looking for someone like the prophet Isaiah that would simply say, here am I, send me. I don't know if I have all the right resources. I don't know if I'm the best communicator. I don't know if I'm talented enough. I don't know if I'm skilled enough, but hey, we can all show up. And I want to encourage you in 2023, let's keep on showing up to meet Jesus. Let's keep on being faithful to meet him in Galilee. Whatever Jesus has called us to, let's be faithful just to show up. We might not have all the answers, but we can be available. And so they show up in Galilee and notice what it says in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, this is an important distinction that we need to make. The Bible does not say when they saw him, they listened to him. The Bible does not say when they saw him, they greeted him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, in Matthew's gospel, there are some cool full circle moments where we see things taking place full circle at the end of the book, at the beginning of the book. At the beginning of the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew makes it emphatically clear that the wise men traveled from afar so that they could come and worship Jesus. Now we see all the way at the end of the book that the disciples see Jesus and they worship Jesus. Why? Because they recognize this is more than just a good teacher. This is more than just a prophet. This is God in the flesh. They worshiped him and Jesus received worship as God. R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, if Jesus was not God incarnate, their act of worshiping, worshiping him would have been the epitome of idolatry. 
They would have been worshiping the creature rather than the creator. But they readily worshiped him, and Jesus received their worship without rebuke. And so Jesus was receiving their worship as God. But then notice what it says at the end of verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, why did Matthew have to include that? Don't you think that would have sparked some skepticism amongst the early readers? Like, oh, some doubted him. Why would Matthew include that little phrase? He didn't have to. He could have just, he could have just let that. Why do you think that Matthew included some doubted? And there's a very simple answer. The answer is this, because it was true. Because people doubted. I love that the Bible always speaks in full honesty and transparency. That some worshiped him, but then some doubted. The word doubt there carries the idea of hesitation, that, that they, were, they were hesitating. Is this really Jesus? The, the one that, that, that's been teaching, the one that uh, those have been saying he's been doing miracles, and they see him, and, and they knew that he went to the cross. Is this really Jesus? There was doubt. There was, there was hesitation. In fact, the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about this moment where 500 people saw Jesus at once in his resurrected state, and uh, many commentators believe this is that moment. And so here in Galilee, there was uh, perhaps a crowd gathering, and, and they were looking. Is that really Jesus? We can't, I don't know. And hey, did he really uh, rise from the grave? And I'm not sure. And so I love what Jesus does in response to their doubt. Do you want to see it this morning? What does Jesus do in response? Notice verse number 18. It says this. And Jesus came and spake unto them. Here's what Jesus did. He got closer to them. They, they were, they were uh, some were doubting. I'm not sure they were hesitant. And so Jesus comes closer as if to say, examine the evidence. As if to say, see for yourself. I love that we have a faith that, that doesn't shy away from the evidence. That we can ask questions. That we can investigate the evidence that's before us. Just like Thomas who was doubting. That said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet. And what did Jesus do in his mercy and love? He showed him. He gave him the evidence. Can I tell you today that we do not have a blind faith, but we have a faith uh, that has evidence based on the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, to whom also he showed himself alive. Everybody say alive. That he showed himself, that he proved that he was alive after his passion or crucifixion by many infallible proofs that time and time again, Jesus showed himself and revealed himself in the resurrected state. Uh, so today we can examine the evidence. Jesus comes closer. And as Jesus comes closer to those uh, disciples and that group of people that were there, he then delivers what we know as the great commission. He gives the great commandment and he gives our responsibility. And today, if you're taking notes, I want to give us three uh, three ways that we must uh, be ready to go and, and be ready to go in and fulfill the mission that God has given us. And so if you're taking notes, let me give you uh, three ways this, this morning. Number one, we must submit to the authority of Jesus. Everybody doing okay this morning? We must submit to the authority of Jesus. I want us to see it starting in verse number 18. The Bible says this, and Jesus came and, sp and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All. Everybody say all. all. All power. The word power is the Greek word exousia. It means authority. So he's saying all power, all authority in heaven is given to me. All of it. I have all the authority. And so what Jesus is saying is before I give you this assignment, I want you to know that I have the authority to give you that assignment. Uh, Jesus was 
demonstrating and communicating his authority. In fact, before he gives us a command, he makes a claim. The claim was that he had all authority. Now, sometimes in life we can struggle with authority. How many of you in your life would be honest enough to, today to say that you've had an authority problem in your life? Okay, we, we can have an authority. I remember when I was in second grade, I had an authority problem. I had an authority problem with my second grade teacher because she always told me what to do. And uh, I remember one day she uh, asked me, I was sitting in my desk and I was sitting there and she said, Matt, you need to get up and go outside. And I said, this is documented in a note that she wrote home to my parents that day. Uh, I said to her, you can't tell me what to do, Miss Bossy. And that's how I responded. And uh, I still have, still have the note if any of you want to see it. And uh, I quickly learned when I got home and my parents read that note that she did have the authority to tell me to get up and to go outside. And uh, sometimes in life we can struggle with authority, but Jesus here is making it plain and making it clear that the the assignment that he's about to give, he has all the authority to give it. Now, uh, this was also a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I want you to see it in Daniel chapter 7, verse number 13, where the Bible says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Who's that? The Son of Man was a popular title uh, given to uh, the Messiah. This was talking about Jesus. In fact, Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. And so here in the Old Testament, we see Daniel prophesying about the Son of Man. Uh, what uh, attributes or qualities is he communicating about the Son of Man? Well, let's read. He came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him, watch this, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. And so the Son of Man would come, and he would have all authority over the nations, over the people, uh, over everything, he would have this authority. Many people today deny the authority of Jesus. Many people today deny the claims of Jesus. I was listening to a podcast this week, and someone jumped on and was talking about how uh, they do not believe in the Bible, and they don't believe in the claims of Jesus, and he was saying, uh, Jesus can't possibly be the only way to heaven, and I just, I don't submit to that, and as I was talking, I, I, I even told this to Daniel and Seth as we were meeting uh, later in the week, I said it broke my heart because everything that he was saying was antithetical to what, to what I hold dear and what I believe, and he was saying, I don't believe that Jesus is the only way, but I want you to know this, in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9, it says this, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name. It's the name that we sang about this morning, a powerful name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The only question is, will you confess that Jesus is Lord now? Or will you confess that Jesus is Lord when it's too late? Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. And Jesus starts, before he gives the assignment, he gives his authority. He shows his credentials saying, I have all authority. And this should encourage someone this morning at the 11th. 
property service that the God that we worship has all the authority, that Jesus has authority over the nations, that Jesus has authority over nature, that Jesus has authority over demons, that Jesus has authority over disease, that Jesus has authority over sin, that Jesus has authority over death. Aren't you thankful this morning that the God that we worship has all the authority? He's going to give us an assignment, but before he does, he says, I want you to know I have the authority. And if he has the authority, then really when it comes to the assignment, there's not a whole lot of negotiation available because he has the authority. Today, we can't buck against that authority. Again, we struggle with authority. You know, the reality is nobody struggles with authority when they're in it. (laughs) As long as you're the one that's in control, no problems. I love being in authority, telling people what to do. When I was in elementary school, my sister, Danielle, she's six, seven years older than me. She's going to be at Rock Hill Conference on one of the panels this coming week. And uh, she would babysit us. And I could tell she would just get on a power trip when she would babysit us. She would just boss us around. She loved telling us what to do. And one day she threatened to give me a spanking. And I was like, excuse me, you do not have the authority to give me a spanking. I was like, I'm not having it. That's where I draw the line. See, we struggle with authority. But today we have to recognize that in the Christian life, victory comes by way of surrender. When we say, you know what? I like being in control. I want to call the shots, but it's not my will. Thy will be done. James chapter four puts it this way. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Easier said than done. But we have to recognize today that we are called to submit to his authority. He says, all authority is given unto me. Now, this leads us to the second thought today. Not only the authority of Jesus, but I want you to see, secondly, we must obey the mandate of Jesus. So we recognize his authority, but now I want us to see his mandate. And he makes it very clear, starting in verse number 19. If you're with me still, would you say amen? Amen. It says this, go ye therefore. Go. Everybody say go. Go ye uh, therefore, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, this mandate, I'm going to break it down into two parts. Uh, The first part of this mandate, I'm going to call, it's an active mandate. It's active. He says, I want you to go. Go ye there. If you're going to go, that involves some movement. Is everybody tracking with me so far? If you're going to go, it requires maybe a little bit of preparation. It requires activity, some movement. And so it's an active mandate. He says, I want you to get up and I want you to go. Acts chapter 5 verse 20 says this, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this it's an active mandate here's the assumption the assumption is not that they are coming the assumption is we are going the church is not a building the church is a body we are the body of christ and we've got to go sometimes we think well if they'll come in then i'll minister But the assumption is not that they're coming. The assumption is we're going, that we are going out to the highways and hedges and we are compelling them to come in. By the way, the great commission is not a great suggestion. It's not the option for some. It's the command for all of us. God does not give us direction for our consideration. God gives us direction for our participation. So we would submit. And so he says, go. It's an active mandate. We've got to stop talking about it. We've got to start doing it. We've got to go. Uh, One pastor I heard, uh, this was about 10 years ago, he talked about the gospel. And he said some people view the gospel kind of like a nice gun in their gun collection. He said where they like to talk about the gun, they know the features of the gun, they know the ins and outs of the gun, they love to hold the gun, but they never get out and fire the gun. 
Some people like to talk about the gospel. They know the gospel. They appreciate the gospel. But at some point, you've got to go out and share the gospel. It's an active mandate. You've got to go. Uh, There's a story. I love the story about D.L. Moody. Uh, He was a preacher and an evangelist in the 1800s, and he was invited to come speak at a conference, a convention, that was uh, having a theme of mass evangelism. And he was invited to come and be the keynote speaker. And so he went to Indianapolis, getting ready to preach. Before the meeting started, he went out into the street with his song leader. He had a famous song leader. If you ever study the life of D.O. Moody, uh, his song leader was named Ira Sankey. And Ira Sankey came with D.O. Moody, and he started singing in the street. Little crowds started to gather listening to him sing. And then D.O. Moody started to talk to that crowd, and the crowd started to grow, and uh, more people started to come and listen. And then he invited all those people that were on the street to come into the convention hall, and he started to preach the gospel. The whole room was filled. He was preaching the gospel uh, to these people that he met on the street. And then the conference delegates showed up uh, to the meeting. And this is what D.O. Moody did. This is what he said in that moment. He said, now we must close. As the brethren of the convention wish to come and discuss the topic, how to reach the masses. (laughs) D.O. Moody was proving a point, and he was demonstrating something. There's a difference between talking about something and doing something. We can spend all day long till we're blue in the face talking about how to reach people with the gospel, and we should. I'm all for it. But at some point, we've got to get out and tell someone else about Jesus. I wonder, let's make this real personal and practical today. Who is it in your life that you know right now, maybe the Holy Spirit is putting someone in your life, that they don't know Jesus? And if they were to die today, you're not sure about their eternal destiny. Well, God's called us to go. And I want to encourage you, maybe today a text message could be sent. Maybe a social media post. Uh, Maybe you're going to call someone. Maybe you're going to start praying for someone. Uh, This past uh, Saturday, we had uh, men's prayer, and we had some men come together on Zoom, and we were praying, and we were specifically praying for family members to come and to know the Lord. Why? Because God has called us to go. It's an active mandate. It's not a suggestion to consider. it's It's a calling to submit to. So it's an active mandate. But I want you to see, secondly, It's an absolute mandate. And what I mean by absolute is that it's complete. It's all-encompassing. That there are different parts of this mandate, and we can't just choose bits and pieces of it that we want to adhere to. We have to follow its entirety. We have to understand it's an absolute mandate. Are you tracking it with me this morning? It's it's an absolute mandate. Now, there's three components to this. Uh, The first component of what Jesus teaches here is to evangelize. Notice it in verse number 19. It says this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. This component is evangelism. This means that we go and we share the gospel, that we go and tell someone about the good news. This is the starting point. This is foundational. This is why at Rock Hill, we like to have certain events that we uh, invite the community to. They're evangelistic by nature. This is why some events will have bounce houses and snow cones. Now, we're not just having snow cones for our own spiritual edification, although maybe you'd be encouraged by snow cones. That's not really why we're having the snow cones. We're having the snow cones to have an excuse to invite other people in. And so we want to invite other people in so that we might share the gospel with them. And so uh, that is the first step. That's evangelism. But then he goes on, and it's not just to evangelize. The next part of the Great Commission is to baptize. Did you see it in verse number 19? Notice it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Excuse me. And so the second component is to baptize. Now, baptism is not something that we do for salvation. 
Uh, baptism is something that we do to identify with Christ. The thief on the cross was never baptized, and Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so baptism is not something that we do for salvation. We're saved by grace through faith alone. Uh, but the reality is, is once we have received the good news of once we've received Jesus Christ, the first step for a new believer is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. When we go down into the water, it's a picture of his death. When we come out of the water, it's a picture of his resurrection. And so Jesus says, you need to go and win people to Christ and teach them, but then you need to baptize. And this is a command that Jesus gives. Now, I want to say this as lovingly as I can this morning, while also being faithful to the scripture. And that is this, that if you consistently, willfully reject Jesus's commandment to get baptized, you are dishonoring and disobeying the command of Jesus. Jesus tells us that we are to be baptized, that we cannot be ashamed of the gospel, that we can't be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And so there has to come a point where we say, you know what? Um, it doesn't mean that I have everything figured out and that I have all the answers, but I love Jesus. I'm so thankful that he saved me. And so I'll go public with my faith. I'm not going to be embarrassed about what I believe and will follow the Lord in baptism. Now, uh, my favorite passage on baptism to talk about is Acts chapter 8. How many of you are familiar with Acts chapter 8, the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? How many of you know what I'm talking about? This story where uh, the Ethiopian man, he's riding up in his chariot, and the Bible tells us that he's reading a scroll. The Bible tells us specifically what scroll he's reading. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he can't understand it. He can't figure it out. How many of you have ever read your Bible, and you couldn't figure out what it was that you were reading? Anybody that happened to? And uh, what happens is he's reading Isaiah. He's not sure what it means. And just then, an evangelist named Philip hears him reading it out loud. And he says, I know what that means. How many of you, that'd be nice if you're reading your Bible, you didn't know what something meant, and a pastor came by and was like, I can help you right now. Wouldn't that be nice, right? And uh, Philip comes by and he says, I can help you uh, understand what this means. He says, Isaiah, what you're reading? Isaiah chapter 53, let me tell you who that's about. That's about Jesus. Let me tell you that this is about the suffering servant. This is about how, how, how Jesus wanted to uh, come and to uh, die for your sins. And so he says, this is about Jesus. And then this is what happens next in the narrative. Everybody with me this morning? Acts 8, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, Isaiah, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water. The Greek word for baptize is baptizo. It means to dunk or to immerse. And so they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And what I love about that story is that Ethiopian man didn't have time to take a class. He didn't have time to uh, give a whole bunch of excuses. He says, here's water right now. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, let's go down into the water. And he was baptized. And I want to encourage you today, if, if baptism is something that you're thinking about, maybe you're in the room and you've never been baptized, I'm excited that next Sunday on our anniversary Sunday, we have several people lined up to get baptized, to identify with Christ, uh, to go public with their faith. And I would encourage you, if you're thinking about getting baptized, hey, join in and let's go public with our faith and celebrate this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. But this command that Jesus gives here in Galilee, 
It's an absolute mandate. It involves us evangelizing. It involves baptism. But there's a third component. The third component is this. We're called to equip. Equip. Now, what he says here next is this in verse number 20. It says this. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So the next vital component of the Great Commission is that we would teach them to observe all things that Jesus had commanded them. In other words, we are not called to simply make converts. We're called to make disciples. And so Jesus says, yes, we want them to receive the good news of the gospel, but then we want to see them baptized, yes, but then we want to teach and we want to bring them along and we want to disciple. And that's why at Rock Hill, I'm thankful that uh, Dave Hernandez is in here. He leads a, a discipleship group. I'm thankful that we have several different discipleship groups and small group Bible studies. What are we doing? We want to become disciples of Jesus. We want to follow him, to be an apprentice of Jesus. Why? Because this is a part of the Great Commission. We don't want to just see someone saved and accept Christ and then say, all right, see you later. No, we want to lead them in this relationship and grow uh, closer to Jesus. And so there is equipping, there's discipleship involved. And so number one today, we submit to his authority. Number two, we obey his command. Here's the third and final thought. You ready for number three this morning? Anybody else ready for number three today? Number three is this, we must depend on the presence of Jesus. We must depend on the presence of Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, here it is. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He says, I am with you always. Remember when I said that there's some full circle moments in the book of Matthew? Well, here's another one because in Matthew chapter number one, when Jesus is born, we are reminded that the Bible says in verse 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so in chapter one, we see God is with us. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, I am with you always. And so today we submit to the authority of Jesus. We obey the command of Jesus, but then we depend not on ourselves. We depend on the presence of Jesus. I am with you always. And so our, our calling is not something that, something that we simply do for God. It's something that we do with God. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I love this because it's so encouraging. How many of you have ever been intimidating sharing your faith or talking about Jesus? Anybody like that? Sometimes it's hard in 2023 to have a bold stand for the gospel, to have a bold stand for what you believe. And sometimes we can feel intimidated. We can feel like, man, I don't know if I have the right words to say, and I don't know if I know exactly how to communicate this the right way. But I have good news for you. Because if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say even when you don't know them. All we have to do is be faithful to obey. If we're letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, you know, 1 Peter says uh, to be prepared, uh, to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. We ought to do our best to be prepared, to be students of God's word, to know the gospel. But then our primary responsibility is just to show up, to be faithful, to say, you know what? I'm gonna send that text message. I might not know how the conversation is gonna go, but I'm gonna send it. 
I'm going to invite that neighbor to church. I don't know if they're going to get angry. I don't know if it's going to be awkward, but I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to stay faithful to God's calling. And I'm not going to depend on my skill or my talent or how great I think I am. I'm going to depend on the presence of Jesus. He says, not only do you have my permission to change the world, you have my presence to change the world. I am with you always. And so we depend on his presence. The Bible says this in Joshua chapter one, verse number nine. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. We don't have to be controlled by our fear. We don't have to be crippled by our anxiety. We don't have to be paralyzed by our insecurity. We can move forward in the calling that God has for us because we recognize we're depending on his presence and his strength and not our own. I was reading recently about William Sangster. He's a preacher and he wrote about preaching and uh, towards the end of his life, he had a debilitating disease that was paralyzing him slowly. And he wrote so much about preaching And one particular Easter Sunday, his vocal cords were paralyzed and he couldn't speak. And this was someone that that, that loved preaching, that cared about preaching. On Easter Sunday, here he was and he couldn't preach and he couldn't talk, but he could muster up the strength to write a little note to his daughter. And this is what he said to his daughter on a note. He said, how horrible on Easter Sunday to have no voice, to shout he is risen, but far worse is it to have a voice and not want to shout he has risen. Here is the idea this morning that I'm trying to communicate to us as a church family. You have a voice. You have a circle of influence that God wants to steward for his glory. You have a voice. You have something to say that God has called us and commissioned us to go. And so really there's only two options today as we close. If you're a follower of Jesus, the command that we've been given is to go and tell. That's what we're called to do. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I'm grateful that you're here. Perhaps you're not a believer. Perhaps you're a skeptic and you're trying to figure this thing out. Then I would say the instruction for you would be come and see. Because in verse number six of Matthew chapter 28, it says this, for he is not here. By the way, I think it's okay even at the 1130 service to get a little bit excited about the fact that the tomb is empty today. That he is not here for he is risen. He says... He is not here for he is risen as he said, just like he said he would, just like Jesus said that he would rise again. Uh, He is not here for he is risen as he said. And then it says this, come see the place where the Lord lay. Come and investigate for yourself. Come and see the clothing. Come and see the empty tomb. Come investigate for yourself. And today, if you are in the room or you're watching online and you have some doubt, you're not sure about all this, you have some skepticism, I would say that's all right. Ask questions. Ask, investigate your faith. Examine the evidence of the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Examine for yourself. But for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we've got to go and tell. But we've got to uh, be active in the mandate that God has given us. I'll read one last verse today, Romans chapter 10, verse number 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a wonderful promise that we can claim today. If you've never claimed that promise, today can be the day of salvation for you. And in a moment, I'd like to give an opportunity for anyone that would like to respond and receive that gift of salvation, to receive Jesus Christ as their savior. 
But today, if you are a Christian, let's go and tell. It's time to go. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.